0: Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, Zach Lowe mentions that the Hornets are interested in one West Coast player. Is that a move that Doug and I would like to see happen? Also, we recap what was the worst half of basketball for the Hornets this season. We preview the game tonight against the Magic and this. I think he gets up for these games against Steve Clifford. I think secretly there's just <laughs> something. There's... I love that theory. <laughs> You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. we live. The San Francisco 49ers doing their best Charlotte Hornets impression by just bleeping the bed in the fourth quarter. Bleeping I don't it. know second half performance was worse between the San Francisco 49ers or the Charlotte Hornets this weekend. But the Hornets, I'll probably go with Charlotte. Boy, that's the worst half they've played all year, Doug.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, they couldn't they couldn't score. They could not prevent the San Antonio Spurs from getting into transition. And uh, ultimately, they, they lose this game. And they don't score 100 points. I mean, I want to talk about the offense a little bit later in the show. But right now, the Charlotte Hornets offense is historically bad.
0: Yeah, it's getting, it's awful. Uh, You're right about not reaching the century mark. It's brutal what the Charlotte Hornets are putting up right now. And we've talked about Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham. If they're not hitting, then you don't have a shot to win a game. And they were bad in this game against the Spurs. Six of 23 collectively, Terry, or 33 collectively, I should say. Terry Rozier shot three of 12. Uh, No, 23. I can't add three of 12. And then Devontae Graham, three of 11. So both of those guys were very bad in this one. And a conversation about Devontae, Doug, I wanted to talk about it a little bit with David because I feel like he brought that up on Friday about Devontae Graham a little bit. Is it time to have a Devontae Graham conversation? Um, I'm interested. It's been rough sledding for him man so it'll be interesting to see if Devontae can pick it up here
1: it might be and also note that coach Borrego has shortened up the rotation uh, pretty significantly over the past couple of games and when you shorten up the rotation that means more minutes for Graham it means more minutes for Rozier and it means that their impact or lack thereof is felt even greater
0: and Graham had already played quite a bit before Borrego shortened the rotation. I mean, he was one of the league leader in minutes played, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, for how much he was being out there for the Charlotte Hornets. It, Yeah, that might, be, that might be a little strong with some of the other stars out there, but he did play quite a bit because the Hornets had played so many games at that point until they went to Paris and maybe it's evened out a little bit more. But that'll be an interesting conversation to have. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show today. Want to lead off with, Zach Lowe's mention of the Charlotte Hornets. Zach Lowe put out an article on ESPN about some of the things that could happen at the trade deadline. And the Hornets were mentioned. He said the Kings should get something good for Bogdanovich. And he, he mentioned um, the Lakers and the Hornets have been interested in Bogdanovich. At least they've expressed interest in acquiring the Sacramento Kings player. And so he writes, the Kings should get something good for Bogdanovich, at least a first round pick. They can wait and see if offers fatten closer to the deadline. At that point, it's time to decide if the return outweighs the benefits of re-signing Bogdanovich. So, Doug, I ask you, what's the deal with Bogdanovich and how do you like a possible acquisition of him with the Charlotte Hornets?
1: Not to be confused with Boyan Bogdanovich, who was often linked to the Charlotte Hornets in the Clifford era. So now we've evolved into the Borrego era and now they they are being linked to Bogdan Bogdanovich.
0: Exchanged a J for a G this time
1: yeah, and and you wonder if they, you know, if their interest in Bogdanovich, who is primarily a, a bigger shooting guard or or maybe a small forward and and can shoot well from three, is mainly an offensive player but is is a decent defensive player as well. What does this mean about their thoughts in terms of Miles Bridges and his future with the team? if if these interests are are truly there and they have been there, you know, recently, what does that mean about Bridges? And the other thing I'll say about Bogdanovich is, you know, right now it's been a disappointing year for him. Uh, He's averaging 14-3-3. Walton has had him sort of oscillating between the bench and the starter. Bogdanovich wants to start and has made that clear, and the Kings just keep bouncing him back and forth in the rotation as the Kings continue to flounder and disappoint generally on their season. And so... I'm interested that the Kings could get a first round pick. I don't think that's a great idea, by the way. I don't think the Hornets should do that. I don't think the Hornets should give up a first round pick for any player at this point that within reason. Uh, So those are my general thoughts on Bogdanovich.
0: No, I agree with you. I don't like this move at all for the Hornets. And I actually kind of like his game. You know, you look at his effective field goal percentage. It's pretty good. Um, Shooting 43% from the field after shooting just really 42 last year. So not a huge increase. Is shooting... 10 percentage points better than what he did last season. You mentioned the amount of rebounds and assists. He's really on par with what he's been the first two seasons. One thing about bogey, as they like to call him, Doug, is he's almost 28 years old. Uh, He's going to be 28 at the beginning of next season. So he's uh, 27 and a half right now, a little bit older. And I think this team should be taking chances on younger guys, right? This is a a situation where if if they're going to be looking for a first round pick, then I'd rather just keep the first-round pick from the Charlotte Hornets. And, you know, I would have to imagine that this has to come with some type of protection, right? I mean, you're not just giving a first-round pick to the Sacramento Kings willy-nilly if that's what they're trying to ask for. And at that point, if they want something unprotected, then I just don't see um, how feasible it is to try to go after this guy. I like his game. I mean, this isn't really anything against Bogdan Bogdanovich. I just don't want him on the Hornets roster, given what Zach Lowe mentions it might take to, uh, to get him in return.
1: And the other thing is, too, he would be a restricted free agent after the 2020 21 season. And so that presents some interesting things there. Like you could give him the qualifying offer. So it puts, if the Hornets were to acquire Bogdanovich, it would put them in the driver's seat. So it wouldn't be like they would give up a pick and then immediately lose Bogdanovich. But it also puts the Hornets in a position where they might have to overpay for Bogdanovich in the future if another team uh, put in put in a big offer for him and, the, and then the Hornets had to match. So, yeah, I just something about this just doesn't land right with me. It feels like the kind of deal the Hornets would have done in maybe previous years when they were really interested in getting and acquiring sort of players like Bogdanovich who had a disappointing year. Let's get in there, try to get him in into our system and figure things out. But that's it doesn't seem like where, where you want the Hornets to go right now.
0: Well, it, it just doesn't seem like a high-ceiling player, and that's what I want to swing for right now. I want to take chances on younger guys that have a higher ceiling than what Bogdanovich does. So this is his third year in the league. He's pretty much done the same thing every single year when you look at the percentages, right? He's probably a career 38%, something like that, without the numbers in front of me anymore. Yeah, so he's a, a career... Uh, three-point shooter 37.5 so that's where he is career-wise 43 percent from the field like he's doing a lot of the same things this year that he's done really throughout his entire career and it's only three seasons two and a half to be exact in the NBA but he just doesn't seem to have that high ceiling I would rather just hold on to my first round pick unless I, I don't know what you would be able to get Miles is interesting you mentioned him but I don't I just don't see Makes it. Makes sense Doug. for I'm the kind of Lakers.
1: I mean, he's a good third, fourth yeah. piece or or possibly a player that you do bring off the bench. And and he has the capability of being a 20 and five guy on, on a given night. And so that's that's a valuable thing in this league. I just sure. don't know that it's a valuable thing for the Charlotte Hornets next season and beyond. Um, but we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, he does make sense for the Lakers. And I think a Marvin Williams might make sense for the Lakers. And at the end of this piece that Zach Lowe writes, he does mention other names to look for. He mentions about four or five in total, but two of them belong to the Charlotte Hornets, at least right now. And he mentions Marvin Williams and Malik Monk as guys to watch out for. I think we've all known about Marvin for a while, we speculated about Malik. I think it's interesting that Zach Lowe puts Malik Monk in there. And we know that the New York Knicks Um, report came out. Ian Begley comes out saying they were really interested in Malik Monk. And it's something that would make some sense if the Hornets moved on from him because it's not exactly like it's worked out extremely well here, the former first round pick. So it'll be interesting. Real quickly, before we take our first break, uh, Chris Chris Sheridan continues to stoke the fire on Andre Drummond to Charlotte. Uh, How real is this in your eyes, the fact that the Hornets might still acquire Andre Drummond?
1: Not very. I mean, this seems like it's in that category of, okay, I'm trying to figure out some destinations for Andre Drummond. It seems like Drummond is going to go somewhere. Charlotte has been mentioned in connection with Andre Drummond for years. Maybe there was a connection a year or two years ago. I don't feel like this is a, an extremely real possibility. Um, and I hope it's not, by the way. I mean, to me, acquiring Andre Drummond without moving a Nick Batum contract is worst case scenario. Not doing anything is actually up there in terms of the things that the Hornets could pull off at the trade trade deadline. Like not doing anything would actually be okay in my mind. Oh, that would be, yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah, but acquiring Andre Drummond and not moving significant salary to me is like worst case scenario.
0: Yeah, you would have to get rid of a contract that is not expiring this season and then Andre Drummond doesn't sign. That is the reason that would work out, and Andre Drummond, you know, if he would opt in, then that would be you're right. The or you're right. The worst case scenario for the Charlotte Hornets. We'll talk a little bit about what happened this weekend, even though it was pretty brutal. The second half was the worst half of the Charlotte Hornets season, and uh, we'll dive right into it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast.
1: This is Locked On Hornets but give me some positives as a, that would annoy me as a head coach. I'd be like, look, you, you can't lose to the bulls by 20 and come away and go, well, you know, let's look for some silver linings, silver lining game over
0: next game. It's time for more of the locked on Hornets podcast. Thanks for joining us on the locked on Hornets podcast, recapping this game against the San Antonio Spurs. Second half was brutal, Doug. We mentioned it at the top of the show. Um, you look at Devontae Graham, he goes three of 11, Rozier goes three of 12, and really the only bright spot in this game is Miles Bridges who now has a few good games in a row offensively. 25 points, four of nine from three-point land, 10 of 19 overall, and 37 minutes played. You start to look at his stat line the last three games, 10 of 19 in this game against the Spurs, 8 of 17 against the Wizards, 6 of 10 against the Knicks, and that uh, ends his good three-game stretch with the Hornets, but that's really the only bright spot that's kind of happened here recently. Awful, awful second half offensively. Borrego gets out-coached. Greg Popovich, one of the best to ever do it, but boy, I mean, did he show it off in this game against Borrego, and the master got the best of the student. Yeah, you score 25,
1: uh, 35 points in the second quarter to San Antonio's 20, and you end up going into the into the second half with a lead. You get outscored 29-11, to 11, and then you simply can't make the adjustments necessary in the fourth quarter, only scoring 16 to San Antonio's 35, and you end up getting blown out in this game. And a lot of it happened in the fast break, off turnovers, bad offense, And, you know, I've seen this a couple of times. Devontae Graham going up against some taller guards, some taller defenders, DeJounte Murray and Derek White, chasing Devontae Graham off of these screens. Nobody's going under on Devontae Graham anymore, by the way. It's just not happening. You saw players make that mistake early this season. It opened up things for for Devontae Graham. Those kind of things aren't happening, but Devontae Graham is still pulling up, and he's just not knocking it down. And uh, there were just just a couple of opportunities for him to get inside and do some things that we've seen Kimball Walker do in years past to get inside and finish at the rim. And he's just, he's not doing it, and when he tries to do it, he's not doing it well, and it's leading uh, to eight-point efforts. And he's moving the basketball. I mean, you can't fault him for that. It's not like he's being selfish and missing. He's just missing and and having nine or ten assists a game.
0: Yeah. Is it time to have a conversation about Devontae Graham, Doug, about, I mean, should we be scared? Uh, Should we think that this first half performance from him was possibly a mirage and and maybe even a little bit before the first half completely comes to an end, but only shooting only 37%, the two point field goal percentage has not gone up. And even you said, when we talked about it last week, it's not like you can expect that to go up before season's end. The three point percentage has gone significantly down. I believe he was hovering around 42 at something, something like that um, after a pretty good sample size. And now he's all the way down to 37, close to 38. I, I'm worried about him. I, I still think he's going to be a good player. It's not somebody that you sell on high. I mean, that, that's not what you do, but it's been really bad. And it's beyond just the 10-game bad slump that he had after the Nets performance. I mean, he's been consistently bad, really, since that Nets performance.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to make any, like, overarching judgments. Just like I wasn't—I don't think I was ready to make those same judgments when he was playing well at the beginning of the season. I wasn't ready to declare him an all-star. I wasn't ready to declare him a star. I think Devontae Graham's story, clearly there are some chapters left to be written. But I think the best part about Devontae Graham and P.J. Washington is that we know that they can put the work in in the gym. Like, we know that about Devontae. He did that and improved his three-point shot. And so I I think that I'm I'm interested to see where the Devontae Graham story goes, but it might have to happen in the offseason. I'm not sure... I mean, it's got to get better than this. I mean, that three of 11, two of eight from three, like that's not that's not going to do it. I mean, right now the Hornets' offense is historically bad. I mean, we haven't seen these levels of points per possession relative to the rest of the league since the last year of the Charlotte Bobcats, 14-15. Uh, uh, so that was, uh, they were 28th in the league at that point in points per possession. Right now they're 25th according to cleaning the glass. I'm sorry, that fourteen fifteen was the first year of the Hornets. But we haven't seen it since like right before that last playoff era when they were still trying to figure themselves out offensively. But that team could play defense. This team can't play defense either. And right now they're 27th according to cleaning the glass and turnover percentage. That's leading to bad offense and bad defense. And they're simply not getting to the free throw line. This is not a physical team. <laughs> it's, it's like the like the 12th year in a row that we've said that about the Charlotte Hornets. But this is not a physical team. They don't like contact, and that's a problem because they're not rebounding, and they're not getting to the free throw line, and now they're missing shots all over the place, and that's why they can't score 100 points versus bad defenses.
0: Yeah, zero attempts at the free throw line for Devontae Graham. And we know that he struggled in the two-point area all season long, but it's actually gone down a full free throw attempt per game from what he did last month to what he did this month. And really last month was not indicative of what he's done all season. It's really been this month at about three and a half free throw attempts per game. But you're right, Devontae has just not gone to the charity stripe all that much. So Devontae doesn't go. Terry Rogier has two shots from the foul line. Miles Bridges goes one for two from the foul line in this game. Billy Hernan Gomez goes four for four. Cody Martin, one for two. Monk, two for two. And that was it. Those were all of your trips to the foul line in this game against San Antonio.
1: You want to hear some interesting offensive numbers? Again, all of this according to Cleaning the Glass. So yeah, since please. the Bobcats started in 04-05, the Hornets have never been better than average at effective field goal percentage. Even w- in the, the past four seasons prior to this one, they were 11th, 10th, 14th, and 9th in points per possession, but they have never been better than average in effective field goal percentage, which really tells you where the shots are being taken. Are they shooting enough three-point shots? Are they getting to the free throw line? Are they doing the things that are valued in the modern NBA, Right. And so right now, they're 26th in effective field goal percentage, but 25th in points per possession. And that's all because they're turning the ball over too much, and they're not getting to the free throw line, and they're also not rebounding. And they're not, they're not getting a ton of offensive rebounds either, or not enough to counter it. And that's led to this bad offensive stretch.
0: Well, and it's funny because, you know, one, one guy in P.J. Washington, who does have a pretty good effective field goal percentage, he was out in this game. And if you'll remember, um, P.J. Washington suffered that sprained ankle in that game against the Wizards, actually came back, tried to give it a go a little bit and uh, would get some more run, but then would eventually get sat on the bench and not play all that much, was held out of this game. But the point is regarding the effective field goal percentage, Doug. Usually when you have some good three-point shooters, then it raises it, right? Devontae, still overall, shooting almost 38% from three. That usually would indicate a pretty decent effective field goal percentage. He's been so bad from two, it's actually below 50. Um, You look at P.J. Washington, it's actually pretty good. uh, Terry Rozier, I'm trying to pull up his effective field goal percentage right now, but that's someone that's been very good on the catch and shoot, maybe not necessarily as the primary ball handler. But you look at his effective field goal percentage and that comes in at right at 50. And then that's about it. You know, I mean, there's not a whole lot of other guys that are helping you in that specific category you mentioned.
1: Going back to Devontae Graham, though, one of the reasons I'm not terribly worried about Devontae Graham right now, just in terms of the long term arc of his career, is that he's he's running out there with these bench units that are comprised of Cody Martin, Billy Hernan Gomez and Malik Monk. I mean, is it fair? Is that fair to judge him when 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 so many of his minutes are played alongside guys that wouldn't probably some of these guys aren't making rotations on decent teams in the NBA? I don't think so. So, you know, I'm I'm still in a little bit of a wait and see with Devontae Graham. I don't expect him to be Superman out there with with Martin, Hernan Gomez and Malik Monk.
0: Oh, I think it's easy to argue on either side of the fence for Devontae. I think your point is well stated. I also think him going up against second unit defenses is something that is in favor of saying Devontae is not it. You know, there's a couple of guys. I think I think either side of the fence is pretty it has enough substantial evidence to argue on either side, but you're right. And yeah, there's a couple of guys that he's running some offense with that don't exactly help Devontae Graham be the best player that he can possibly be. We have one more segment on today's episode of the On Hornets podcast coming up. This is locked on Hornets. You
1: give me a new adjective. God, you're just messing this up. I, you know, I just I spend <laughs> some time away from the show, and you're still the same old Walker. All right, well, yeah. Give me a new adjective and give me a
0: plural well, noun. I, well, I, I've already thought of my plural noun. Now that you mentioned it, how about? Uh, well, I don't even know if this is plural. How about grape jelly? Does that work? Grape oh jelly is the noun I was going to get. Plural give. noun. This isn't hard. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets
1: podcast. Walker, I've been passionate on this episode because we've got the trade deadline coming up and the Hornets, the offense is not playing well. Some things have to change. Certain players aren't playing well. I'm fired up because our listeners are fired up. Our listeners are passionate about this show. And if you listen to this podcast, you hear all of the passion that we put towards our great advertisers that work with us and work with Locked On to reach sports fans. But here's what you might not know. Locked On Hornets is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Hornets fans. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, and not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Hornets fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated, has disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses and local podcasts. Here's what you do. Text the word advertising to 33777. That's 33777. Or you can visit LockedOnPodcast.com forward slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com forward slash
0: advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Unfortunately for the Charlotte Hornets, the Hornets have almost become a get-right game for teams' defenses. We've <laughs> talked about how bad the offense yeah. has been for Charlotte. And how about even against the uh, the Wizards, Doug? The worst defense, quite literally, in the NBA. The Hornets only put up 107 against them. And that was after a good first half. So, it really, was a second half that wasn't so good for the Hornets. They put up 97 in a win against the New York Knicks. At 103 against the Bucks, 83. Their last meeting against the Magic, 86 against the Nuggets before you can actually get to something respectable and 112 against the Portland Trailblazers. Well, and, and, and that,
1: that g- that's important. That game, you had guard, guards playing well, but you also had them getting to the free throw line. I believe Devontae, I think he had maybe more than 10 free throw attempts in that game. So they were getting to the free throw line. They were attacking the rim and they weren't turning the basketball over. The Portland Trailblazers game, even though they lost, it was a close loss. That game illustrates what the Hornets this year have to do to play competent offense because they're not going to play great offense because they don't have the talent. But to play competent offense, they have to do certain things that they are just simply not doing right now. And and maybe it's the fact that Dwayne Bacon's not playing. Maybe it's the fact that Nick Batum's not playing. I mean, You have to look at the shortened rotation and ask some questions, I think fair questions, about what's going on with this team right now and why they're not playing well offensively.
0: Yeah, Devontae Graham had 13 free throw, or excuse me, he had 13 three point attempts. Actually, in this game against Portland, only had one free throw attempt. Okay,
1: well that's three three what throws. I, you know, that's what I meant. Free throw, yeah, three, three point. point no, three I looked at it attempts. and I thought I was going to
0: agree with you. That was not to clown you. That was oh wait, yeah, you're right, Doug. It was 13, but it was actually the three point attempts that they had. But it was the only last. It was the uh, really the last game that they put up a respectable outcome. 112 points, I should say. And then the two games before that, 92 and 92 against the Suns and the Jazz. Double-digit city, man. I, this is what the Charlotte Hornets have been putting up right now. And they've got the game against the Orlando Magic tonight in the Spectrum Center. They only put up 83 in the last meeting that they played. We know that Orlando is a very good defensive team. We know Steve Clifford very well. He's always been a very defensive-minded head coach. I can't imagine much is going to change, especially if P.J. Washington is going to be out again. Yeah, but I PJ mean, PJ had a really good game last time, Doug. Uh,
1: no, for sure. I mean, PJ is an important part of this offense. I mean, I think he he helps it in a variety of ways because he can score essentially at all three levels, and uh, you know, he's a player that just seems like he's always open. I mean, I just maybe defenses have been so focused on adjusting to Devontae Graham that they haven't had the opportunity to really adjust to P.J. Washington. But he just finds ways to be open from from the three-point line, and he knocks him down. And so that's something that this Hornets team desperately needs. Orlando right now on a five-game losing streak. I'm not sure that that matters because you remember – They played Orlando uh, a few nights ago, and Orlando was coming off this just terrible road trip. They were tired. They were busted. It just seemed like the opportunity the Hornets needed to get back on track, and they couldn't take advantage. So I I don't have much hope for this game against Orlando.
0: This was the start of the Malik Monk ascension. This was the game where he played 22 minutes, went 8 of 13, scored 20 points, and then it was the game uh, in Paris against Milwaukee where he went for his career high when thir- with uh, 31 points. And then we've seen Malik, you know, be a part of the rotation, not exactly the most efficient the last couple of games, but still being very, uh, very much a part of some of the offensive success that they've had. So this was the start of that. The two people that had the best games offensively against Orlando the last time out, it was Malik Monk and PJ Washington. So Doug, as we play the four B's challenge, will one of those guys be your number one pick? Or is it my pick because I don't know how to play the rules of this game?
1: Uh, correct. Yeah, the rules state that you are still have honors because the last two games we have tied one one. You have to go back to three games ago when I went two and zero. So I'm, I'm still, you still have the honors because you have the honor of uh, losing the last time. So yeah, you still have the first pick.
0: I do have the honor. Thank you so much. Uh, I went with Malik and Malik has actually been going well for me, man. I don't want to touch Devante. He's just been really bad lately. Five of 17, four of 12 in this game, but he does give you assist numbers. Man, it has been a while since I've gone with Devonte Graham. I talked myself into it. Give me Devonte. Devonte at least gives you the assist floor. And The one thing I think you like about Devonte is even if he's shooting poorly from the field, the assist numbers have been there I mean, he's averaging over seven a game this season. So that's a nice floor. I think to have, I'll take Devonte.
1: All right, then I'm going to go with Malik Monk as my high. I think he gets, uh, I just think he gets up for these games against Steve Clifford. I think secretly there's just <laughs> something. Great. I love that
0: theory. <laughs> there's something
1: going on there. Monk and Clifford just never saw eye to eye about what Monk was or what he could be. And so uh, I think Malik Monk definitely gets up for these. So I'll take Monk. And then uh, hopefully the rotation doesn't change. I'll take Billy. Yeah, the low is for, interesting. I'll take Billy for my low, but it's, it's just dangerous because the, you know, to, to get one of those bench players that, the, you know, it could just change on me dramatically, but I'll, I'll take a chance and go Billy for my low.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because of the shortened rotation. Uh, Cody Martin, has been a guy that's gotten in there and we know that he's probably a good guess for the low, but I'm going to go with Marvin Williams. Marvin has been getting a lot of minutes, 24 minutes in this game against the Spurs, but only four points, only four rebounds for him. I'm going to go with Marvin Williams who has to go up with a lot of size uh, against Orlando. We know how athletic they are. Not only are they big, but they can move really well. I don't think Marvin has a good matchup going up against the magic. Give me Marvin as the low. Devonte Graham is the hot.
1: And Marvin is really taking the Nick Batum tactic of being the veteran that's going to come in there and make good plays, and and he's passing the ball a ton. You know, in a season where you cared about the Hornets winning, you I would come on here and say, hey, maybe Marvin needs to take a few more shots. But obviously, that's not what this season is about. So you're probably okay with Marvin Williams just coming in. Uh, keeping his body healthy, not taking too much contact, passing the ball, making good plays, and uh, you know, not taking any shots away from some of the young players. You just wish these young players would,
0: would knock a shot down. No, that would be very nice. And maybe just like Malik Monk wants to take it to Steve Clifford, maybe Marvin wants to take it easy on Steve. You know what, Steve? You did a lot of good things for my career. I'll let you have this Thanks, one. Steve. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts Google Podcast and Spotify. We'll be back with you tomorrow to recap the Orlando Magic.